Welcome to the Liberty Baptist Sermon Archives. The message you're about to hear was preached at Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. You can find out more about us or contact us at mylibertybaptist.org or just look us up on Facebook. And now we hope that this message from God's Word will be a blessing to you. Acts chapter 17 uh, in the Word of God this evening and uh, I am greatly looking forward to our 10th anniversary. It's coming up in less than two months, and it's my desire that we just, we can put it this way, just pull out all the stops when it comes to what's going to happen on June 11th. And like I mentioned, we're looking at having an outdoor service. We're looking at, we already have Heartland Baptist Bible College coming to sing during the afternoon service. Uh, we have Pastor George Pert, the sending pastor of ours from Westgate Baptist in Tampa, who will be here uh, as well. Uh, we're looking at having a meal in here. We're looking at doing extensive outreach in the community through online and direct mail, as well as us giving out materials as well. And we are really looking forward to having uh, a, a uh, wonderful, wonderful day, a day that I pray that we will not forget in the history of our church. And the, uh, there's a lot that we have to do to prepare for a day like that. And I mentioned this morning that next week we'll officially roll out a program that I'm calling a tuning up for the 10th, which is getting us ready in every way conceivable, whether it's here on the property, preparing to put a tent on the property, or just getting the outdoor landscaping done, the indoor maintenance repairs uh, getting accomplished, uh, making sure that we're ready for outreach and getting involved out in the community, preparing the funds that we need to be able to raise for some of these things, to be able to reach out in the community greater than we ever have in the past. And then also making sure that we're most importantly ready spiritually. Uh, that's why we're having a revival meeting in May, and then also uh, while we'll be having some prayer meetings, not just here at the church, but also in individual homes where we'll gather together with families and have some time of prayer as well. Uh, I, I want to make sure that we know that when it's time for the 10th anniversary, when it's over, uh, as they would say when you're playing sports, you left it all out in the field, that you know that we've done everything, that the prayers have been made, that the money has been given, that we have all done our dead level best. It's, it's going to require a lot of work. I'll be honest with you, it's going to require some funds as well. It's one of the reasons I want us to raise uh, some money because I want to make sure that we hit every single door here in Easton, whether it's physically going to the door or most likely also having extensive every door direct mail approach as well. You say, why is that important? Well, let me give you an example. It was two days before Liberty Baptist Church started uh, that there were some people from Tampa, Florida that were wandering down some podunk little road uh, called Pequonicut that they ended up happening upon a home uh, where Jim Jerome opened the door, uh, let them in. And I, I think that was a Saturday and the very next day he came to the first service at Liberty Baptist Church because someone invited him to come and he's been here now for 10 years. Uh, you know, there are more people like Jim Jerome that are out there. And uh, what we want to do is to not just honor the past, but also look forward to the future. We've already invited a couple of folks that have been here in the past that we're going to honor during the service. Uh, one, one of the very first uh, people that were here, uh, Miss Dorothy DuPont. Uh, she's uh, actually going to be traveling here. We're going to honor her during the morning. Really the first person ever to reach out to our church. Um, about two weeks before the church started, she got a flyer in her door, emailed and said, uh, my sister and I want to come to church. Can we come? And Diane picked them up this, that morning. Uh, they're the first people in. Joyce, her sister, is in Ohio now, not able to come, but Dorothy will be here. We'll be honoring her. Uh, really the first two workers we ever had at our church, Dan and Dora Woodward, are going to be coming that morning, and we're going to be honoring them uh, as well for their service. 
And we have one other that we want to honor as well, one who has gone on to heaven. And it's my prayer as we talk to their family over the next few weeks that we'll be able to have their family come. And I'm going to honor her whether the family is here or not, but it's my prayer that their family will be able to be here and be a part of the service and just have a really t a time of rejoicing because we have so much to thank the Lord for over 10 years. But we also know this, that the 10th anniversary is not mission accomplished. The 10th anniversary is really to be continued. And we want to make sure that we do continue all the way until the Lord comes. And so I really just, in your mind, I want you to mark that day on your calendar uh, just to be part of it, invite folks. It, it's just going to be a wonderful day. And I, I want to talk to you more about it later, and then we'll do more of that. But, but I really say that all now because it goes into what we have here with the message tonight because programs are wonderful. I'm thankful for a patch club. It was because of patch club that we had nine young people come to church, seven of which would not normally be here on a Wednesday night. Some of their parents staying here for church, which was a blessing and kind of the hope and prayer when we have something like that. Programs are great. I'm glad we have a junior church. I'm glad we have a Sunday school. We're looking here in a few weeks to add another Sunday school class. We have Bible studies. We have outreach. We have program after program after program. We're looking at adding programs as the Lord allows. I'm all for programs, but programs don't build churches. In and of themselves, programs don't build churches. Programs don't build the kingdom of God. In and of themselves, programs don't build the kingdom of God. What builds churches, and more importantly, what builds the kingdom of God is what we see here in Acts chapter 17 tonight. And what we see here in Acts chapter 17 tonight is missing, by and large, from the contemporary church today. And by contemporary, I'm not talking about style of worship. I'm just talking about the church of today. And is missing, maybe in part, here at Liberty Baptist Church, because I would say this, as much as I love Liberty Baptist Church, and as much as I think this is a wonderful church, uh, we don't follow the first century model in the word of God in the sense that really most churches today don't because they were not just churches of programs. They didn't really have many programs, but they were churches of prayer and they were churches of the power of God. And I think we can have all of them. I think programs are good, but without prayer and without the power of God, we're really missing the mark. And that's what I want us to focus on as we draw closer to that 10th anniversary you know, a tent may bring a crowd, and we praise the Lord for that. A free meal, we find out, brings a crowd. Breakfast, who would have thought, right? Uh, I'd never seen people come to church so early uh, as they did last week. I was shocked. No one was more shocked than me. Uh, a, a breakfast can draw a crowd. A food can draw a crowd. A concert can draw a crowd. Uh, but to change lives requires more than a program. To change lives requires something far greater than maybe we as a modern church today, and again, I'm careful using that term modern or contemporary because I'm not saying that uh, we are trying to follow into modernism or into contemporary theology or contemporary quote-unquote worship. No, I'm just talking about as a church today, in the time frame that we live in, we need more of Acts and Acts chapter 17 in our lives. Would you stand please for the reading of God's word? Acts chapter 17, we'll begin in verse number one. Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse number one. The Bible says this, now when they had passed through Amphibolus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, 
opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. But the Jews which believed not moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. Boy, what a term that is right there. Uh, lewd fellows of the baser sort. If you can't enjoy the King James language right there, I can't help you. Lewd fellows of the baser sort. These are some bad dudes, all right? And gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jake, Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, and note this, these are they, or these that have turned the world upside down, are come hither also. Look at that phrase, and I'll say it correctly this time. These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. I think many are not bothered by churches today because we're not turning the world upside down. Oh, I'm certain we're having an impact to a certain level, but I wouldn't say we're turning Easton upside down or Brockton upside down. And this is not an indictment on our church. I'm talking about Christianity today. But wouldn't it be wonderful if we could be noted as the church that turned Easton upside down? I think we can, but it's not about what we can do. Because if it's up to our own capabilities, we can't do it. It's all about what God can do and what God can do through us. And that's what I want to look at tonight. Heavenly Father, be with us as we get into the word. And again, I know this was not the plan today for me, but this was the plan for you. And so I pray that you would just have us go in the direction you'd want us to go tonight. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Paul and Silas, on their second missionary journey, were accused of turning the known world upside down. Could I say this tonight? This is what our culture, this is what our world needs today. In many ways, it is being turned upside down, but it's being turned upside down by the forces of sin. It's being turned upside down by the culture, and it's being turned upside down uh, by uh, those who would try to take those things that are so evident and those things that are so clear from the Word of God, but yet to make left right and to make right left and to make up down and make down up. And we live in a day where two plus two doesn't even equal four anymore. That's the day that we live in. The world is getting turned upside down. Maybe we could put it this way tonight. Uh, we need to turn it right side up again in the sense that we need to be out there in the culture, uh, not just out there meekly just saying, well, I hope that they don't shut us down. I hope that the, the world doesn't shut down our church in the sense of, you know, uh, silencing us and quieting us. No, uh, I'm saying that we must broadcast what we do. We must do far greater. We must do far more. But we don't do it in and of ourselves. We do it with the power of God. But how do you change a community on its face? How do you change a community? There's a lot of different ways that people would say you could change a community. Some would say that it's by feeding the homeless. Uh, some would say that by providing weekday programs for families, there were some that would suggest you open missionary hospitals or have doctors or dentists or optometrists go on missions trips. And, and listen, in and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with those things. If I've learned anything from uh, the, some of the track distribution I've done and some of the things that I've heard uh, from others that have gone out and done more than I have is that when you get out on the streets and you see the homelessness and you see the difficulties and you see the mental illness and you see the drug use, uh, certainly there are people that need physical help. We've had Facebook ads going out the last couple of weeks and we've had several people who have talked about needing 
financial help. And I, I wish that we just had the type of funds that if it would solve the problem, get what I'm saying, if it would solve the problem, that we could just plug all those financial holes in people's lives and turn their life around. I, I wish that we could do that. If, and I think it's great when missionary hospitals are open. And I, I have friends that have gone on mission trips that are nurses and doctors and that have gone and done great work on the mission field. There's nothing inherently wrong with any of those things. The problem is, is that none of these things are bad in and of themselves. But if this is all a church does, then they are treating the symptoms instead of the disease. And the disease is sin and the prognosis is hell. Uh, we are not going to change someone's life for eternity by giving them bread. But we will change their life for eternity by offering the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Not by giving them water to drink that's clean on the mission field, uh, but by giving them the water of life. Now, I have no problem if there's a feeding station that is there that's operating to preach the gospel to people as they go through. I think that's a wonderful thing. I know missionaries that open clean wells uh, to be able to help villages drink properly. And guess what they open it right next to? The church. So that they're able to have people come in and out where they can witness to them and talk to them. I think that's a wonderful thing if that's the need. Why? Because they realize that, that to feed someone once, they'll be hungry in a day. To have someone drink once, uh, they'll be thirsty in a day. But to give them of the bread of life, to give them of the water of life, uh, they will never hunger and they will never thirst again. This is what changes a life. And so while even we as a church, if we had a homeless ministry, or even if we as a church uh, went out and, and had a ministry where, where we helped uh, uh, families during the week uh, with their children and child care and different things like that, there's nothing inherently wrong with them. But if you do that for any other purpose than trying to give people the gospel, you've missed the point. Because those things in and of themselves don't change communities. The gospel changes a community. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, Romans 1.16. There is power in the gospel. The problem is we're keeping that power under the bushel. And not only that, we are not implementing God's program, not of, of children's programs and things like that, although, again, there's nothing wrong with those, but God's program of prayer and God's program of power that comes from Him. But these folks had something different. They turned the world upside down. It's the second missionary journey. They're there in Thessalonica. They did some things. They gave us a model that we can follow here today. And very briefly, I want to give you these three things. The first thing I see is they lifted up Jesus Christ. They lifted Christ. Do you see what it said here in verse number two? It says, and Paul, as his manner was. What does that mean? This is what he normally did. Everywhere Paul went, this was the model that he followed. He went somewhere and baked bread and handed it out to the poor. Now, that's not what it says. It says, and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, again, at the synagogue, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. He didn't give them a TED talk. He, he didn't talk to them about what the contemporary issues of the day were. He said this, I want to take the scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament today, and I want to talk to you about the meaning of the Old Testament. Well, what's the meaning of the Old Testament? Well, it all points to Jesus Christ. And so what was he doing? He was leading them to the place where they could understand that the Messiah had come and his name is Jesus Christ. Verse 3, opening and alleging. Now, that word alleging today is used a little bit differently. 
you know, when we hear the word allegedly, it's usually on the news. And they said, you know, so-and-so killed so-and-so allegedly. Or so-and-so uh, stole from this bank allegedly. And what they're saying is this, is they're saying, we have heard this is the case. We're not saying that it's true. We've just heard that it's the case. Because if they were to not use that word allegedly, they could be uh, liable for, you know, slandering someone's name, someone's character. What if they didn't actually rob the bank? Or what if they didn't actually commit that murder? So they have to use that term allegedly. When we see allegedly here in verse number three, opening and alleging, we might think that Paul is maybe hedging his bets a little bit. It's almost as if Paul's not truly saying Jesus is the Christ. But let me ask you, knowing Paul the apostle, knowing Paul the missionary, do you think that he softened the blow of the gospel at all? Uh, no, I would say quite the opposite, wouldn't you? Uh, no, that word alleging here, the connotation of it in the Greek is setting down a meal, believe it or not. He, he's setting down a meal in front of them. He is alleging. That's the connotation if you go into the Greek. Paul is literally making a meal for the Thessalonians and laying it in front of them. He says, this is what I want you to understand. I'm laying this before you, opening, opening and alleging. I'm presenting to you that Christ must need have suffered. Oh, and, and here's something from Sunday school. He must needs have risen again from the dead. Sounds like there's a need for a bodily resurrection, isn't there? Having suffered and risen from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Now, that's a powerful message right there. And he says, this is, is what I have to tell you, that Jesus is Christ. He alleged it out of the scriptures. He set it down in front of them. And he says, I am going to lift Christ uh, to these people. What is our plan here at Liberty Baptist Church? Here's what we have to do. Lift up Jesus Christ. We have to lift high Jesus Christ so that everyone knows that at Liberty Baptist Church, if you want to learn about Jesus Christ, this is the place you're going to go. You're not going to hear about dead dogma. You're not going to hear from old church fathers. You're not even going to hear from a preacher that's giving his slant or opinion on things. No, what we're going to have here at Liberty Baptist Church is someone who's going to stand before you with an open Bible and no other book, no Book of Mormon, no old church books, uh, no Apocrypha, no catechism, just simply the Word of God. And we're going to open and allege that it was the Jesus Christ that was put on the tree, uh, that was dead, who was buried, who rose again and lives today, that will save souls. That's what we're going to allege here in this building. And we've got to do more of it not less. And it's got to be known in this area. If you want to learn about Jesus Christ, if you want to know what salvation is, if you want people who will love you, who will love you, that this is the place to go. We lift Jesus Christ. Do you know why we give people a warm greeting when they come in? Because we're lifting up Christ. Do you know why that's so important? We're lifting up Jesus Christ. Well, Pastor, I don't see how that's lifting up Jesus Christ. Do you remember what Jesus said? When you give a cup of water in my name, what are you doing? You're doing it unto me. Uh, and so what are we doing? When we are loving someone, we're loving them in the stead of Christ. That's what we're doing. I'm not trying to be weird about this. This is what the book says. And so when someone comes in and we just sit down and we don't engage and we don't talk, what we're showing is that, that we don't want to lift Christ in the manner. No, someone should come here and be so overwhelmed by the fact that people want to love on them and people want to talk to them and people want to engage with them. And listen, I know not everyone can do that all the time. Sometimes you have other things going on and sometimes you're having a bad day and sometimes uh, you just don't want anyone to talk to you. Can I tell you, that's a great time to get up and go talk to somebody if you're having a day like that. 
Because we all have days like that, and I understand it, but what do we do? We want people to come in here and say, we lift up Jesus Christ. When people ask me, what's different about your church than from the Catholic Church? If I had a nickel for every time someone asked me that, Brother Dan, uh, how, what's different about your church than the Catholic Church? And I say this without having to try to um, say anything that's disparaging about the Catholics. There are wonderful Catholic people. They're very kind Catholic people, and I don't want them to feel like I am trying to disparage them personally. But this is a very simple way to explain it. Well, at our church, we just believe what the Bible says in no other book. We're just going to teach and preach from what the Bible says in no other book. And you know what? I find that most people respond in this way. That's refreshing. Most people say, wow, I, I didn't know that. And, and, and why? Because what are we going to do? We're not going to lift up a catechism. I tried to do that for 16 years as a Lutheran. I memorized what Luther said about the Bible, but I didn't memorize the Bible. I mean, think about that for a second. I memorized paragraph after paragraph after paragraph about what a man in the 1500s said about the Bible, but I didn't know a lick about the Bible. But that's the way it is in many churches. So what do we do? Well, we believe what's right. Well, we may believe what's right, but it's only because we lift Jesus Christ and believe that book. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to lift Jesus Christ. By the way, if we make much of our 10th anniversary, which I hope that we do, it's not to make names for ourselves. What we sing every anniversary is what we'll sing this 10th anniversary. The very first song we sang when this church opened, and it's the very first song we sing at every anniversary, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. We lift him up. So I see that, first of all, Paul here lifted up Christ. But number two, I also see this. They launched churches. They launched churches. I'm not going to get too deep into this tonight for the sake of time, but this is what churches do. Churches plant churches. Churches start churches. You know, God ordained in the garden that everything would reproduce after its kind. By the way, that's still true today. That's still the way God has designed things and planned things. That, that's just the way very nature is. Uh, but that's true for churches as well. Churches start churches. I'm thankful that when I went up to Pastor George Pert in 2011 and I said, God has laid upon our heart to start Liberty Baptist Church in Boston, even though I was the assistant pastor, even though I was the choir director, even though I was the youth director, even though she was a teacher, even though we were very integrated in what was going on there, he never flinched. He never thought about it. He said this, let's get you going. Now, maybe he was trying to get rid of me. In hindsight, and some of you say, does Westgate still want you? Because maybe, no, they don't. I'm fine here, all right? But uh, the idea was this. He knew that it was a blessing for a church to start a church. You know what happened a few years after that? Uh, that Westgate started a church in Oklahoma, outside of Tulsa. Happens to have the same anniversary as us. It was started uh, on our sixth anniversary, so they're four years behind us, uh, or six years behind us. I can do math. Um, but uh, the idea is this. Churches start churches. And what's God's plan is that God's plan for us is that churches start churches. Do you, do you know my desire for Liberty Baptist Church has been and will continue to be that we start more churches? You know, Pastor, we're a small church ourselves. Well, churches start churches. Well, what if we spread ourselves too thin here? I don't know that we're in any danger of that. Let's just go ahead and give the gospel wherever we can. And then when God gives opportunities, let's walk through those doors. When God gives us those opportunities, let's walk through them because that's what happens here. Paul left Thessalonica on a rail, but you know what it got left behind? A church. Well, pastor, you can't prove that. It doesn't say that there. Well, I have two whole books that'll prove it to you. One's called First Thessalonians. The other's called Second Thessalonians. Why? To the church that is at Thessalonica. Greetings. 
That's what Paul says. And we know that a church was established. God ordained the church as the institution where the gospel is preached and people grow. That's why we've been given the Great Commission. Now, now how, how does this happen? How does this happen? Well, Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 through 38 says this, But when he saw the multitudes, Jesus, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Do you know what Jesus' prayer request for us is? Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. Can I just be extremely blunt with you tonight? I have tried for the last year and a few months to have an associate assistant pastor come and work with us here at Liberty Baptist Church. I have talked to other Bible colleges. I have talked to men that work at other churches. Uh, I have offered uh, sterling pay packages. I have offered to help them find employment. <laughs> But I've, and I've told them about the need here and how I believe there's great opportunity here. And certainly we've seen that opportunity very much over the last few months, especially that opportunity growing and rising once again. Uh, but do you know what I've seen? And I prayed to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. And I prayed on the outside that he would send laborers from Oklahoma, from Washington, from Oregon, uh, uh, from Kansas. These are some of the states of, of places I've talked to men. Uh, and, and you know what I've heard every time? No. Can I tell you, it bothers me a little bit because I love New England. I'm not from New England, but I love New England. Like, this is where I am from now, and I love it. I'm fiercely loyal to it. And when people from other places don't want to come where I live, it's kind of like, you don't like Boston? We don't like you. No, I'm just kidding. We don't. Um, that's not the right spirit. That's the Boston spirit, but that's not the right spirit. Uh, so that's that's not the right spirit. But... Um, you know what God has made abundantly clear to me? The laborers have to be here. If you're waiting for the cavalry to come in, uh, God hasn't sent it. No, he's given us cavalry, but not the cavalry. There's a difference. So what are we saying? Now, God has brought some, I believe, in this local area to come and get saved and to join with us. I believe that's part of it. But God's calling us to be the laborers in the harvest. And I've seen some who have, have gotten that spark. I've seen some who have, have gotten excited because God uses the church to be able to go out into the community and be the battering ram that can turn the world upside down. And listen, Easton's a community that's upside down in a lot of ways. People get upset about the strangest things. I was online last week and there's somebody that was upset. That was my first mistake being online last week. Uh, somebody was upset. Uh, Brother Tim, you probably saw this. Someone was upset because uh, on Depot Street where they remodeled the street, uh, uh, somebody, they started hanging the signs uh, for the new side streets, not with one post, but with two posts. And someone says, why would they use two posts on a street sign? And people started arguing about it, a thread that was 50 or 60 comments long about street signs and whether they should have one post or two. You know what Easton needs? The gospel. To cut through all the mess and cut through all the, the, the difficulty and cut through all, all the things that people argue about and fight about. Well, what about this political issue? What about that political issue? Guess what? The gospel solves all of it. The gospel solves all of it. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved in politics and, I, and we should make sure that we have honor and respect for the government. 
I'll say that again because it's not very popular. We should make sure we have honor and respect for our government. But I also know this. What's going to solve the the honor issue, respect issue with the government, what's going to solve the mess that the government is in is you and I going out, instead of complaining about them, go reach them with the gospel. That's what it's going to take. And again, I'm all for being part of the political process. But we need to make sure that we understand the dynamic that will change a community is the local church. And maybe I've not been clear about that in the past. Uh, maybe I've not been clear about our, our relationship with the government uh, here and our relationship with how we are to respond to it. Uh, for instance, Romans 13. But I will say this, that if you want to make a difference here in this community, it's by being part of a local church. And be part. Of, that's not very popular today. That's not very popular, but it's what it is. And, and, and to change and make a difference. So I see we're to lift Christ. We're to launch churches. But I also see this. We're to live consistently. Number three, we're to live consistently. Having the mechanisms in place for a community to be turned upside down is one thing. But we must be living our walk each and every day. We have to live our walk each and every day. Here's the problem. All this sounds good, but we've got to do it. We've got to be consistent. Turn, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Because Paul's going to talk to the people of Thessalonica about something that I think will be helpful to us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You're going a few pages away. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at what it says in verse 1. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even that after that we have suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know at Philippi, we were, what's that next word? Bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Even though there were people that were not happy about them preaching the gospel. And by the way, he's not even talking about Thessalonica. He's talking about Philippi. Why? Because this was something that regularly happened to him. Everywhere he went, he preached the gospel, and people didn't want to hear him. But yet, in the wake of the calamity that took place in every city and town, churches were established. Why? Because Paul, if I could put it this way, was who he said he was. He didn't just preach something and live something else. He lived consistently the message. For exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile or craftiness. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel... Even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth their children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because ye were dear unto us. What made the difference for the Thessalonians was that they literally saw Paul and Silas give their own souls for them to be able to come to Christ. They lived consistently with what they were saying. By the way, how many communities have been turned off to God by watching people say they love God and do something different? How many times have people said, you know, I really want to go to church, but I don't want to go because of the Christians who are at the church. Now, sometimes that's their problem. 
because they don't want to, in their heart, be in church, and they're they're projecting that onto another church. But I'll say this: there are times there are churches in the communities that are not a good testimony for Christ, and so because they don't live consistently, people say, "I don't want to be any part of that." Paul lived a consistent life. Charles Spurgeon put it this way: A man's life is always more forcible than a speech. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. If his life and doctrine disagree, the mass of onlookers accept his practice and reject his preaching. Think about that. If his life and doctrine disagree, the mass of onlookers accept his practice and reject his teaching. Meaning this, if you were saying one thing and doing another, people believe what you're doing, not what you're saying. And we know that from life, don't we? We know that to be true, but yet we forget that in our own lives. We can't talk about being people of prayer and not be people of prayer. Because if we do, we're going to miss the power that God wants to give us. That's why tuning up for the 10th anniversary isn't just a program about let's get a lot of people here and here's some tricks that we can do to get people here and let's drop it when we're done. No, we need to pray before the 10th anniversary. We need to pray during the 10th anniversary. And guess what? We'll need to keep praying when the 10th anniversary is done. Because my prayer that we grow in prayer over that time. We as a church have grown in prayer over the last several years with it. Men's prayer meeting, ladies' Bible studies where they pray together, uh, Wednesday night prayer times, uh, all of these different things. But I want us to grow in prayer. We need more prayer, not less. We need to make sure that we're living uh, consistently, that we're living lives that, that when we say that we live for God, we actually live for God. And this is what Paul did. This is how Paul lived. And this is how we must live. I look at Thessalonica, and we get some of, two of the most encouraging epistles you will find are written to the people of Thessalonica. And what's ironic about those epistles is that in most epistles, Paul has to deal with those people in that city having done wrong. You know, Galatians, Corinthians, Paul has to deal with some problems that they have encountered. But mostly, in First and Second Thessalonians, Paul's given them encouragement. And they were started in the midst of a disaster. And yet through the midst of that, because of the power of God, a church was established in an unlikely place. And Paul and Silas and many others were accused of turning the world upside down. I know this. I don't want people to talk about Liberty Baptist Church because we're the best protesters on earth. I don't. I don't want people to talk about Liberty Baptist Church because we're out there with signs and placards and we're going we're gonna to show the government what we think about X, Y, Z. I don't want to be known for that. Can I be honest with you? There's people already doing that. They can have that lane. You know what there's not a lot of people doing that are out there? Passionately, patiently, prayerfully, trying to turn the world upside down for the sake of the gospel. How do we do that? But we have to lift up Christ. We gotta lift him up. It's not my message, but his message. It, it's not your life, but his life. It, it, the message, his life for mine is what the message is. Uh, we, have to, we have to launch churches. And, and I know that in the future, I would like for us to do more as far as starting another church, but we need to establish and strengthen what God has given us here. And that doesn't mean just sitting around waiting for God to give us a building. It means just going out and thanking God for the building we have now and doing the best we can with it and using the funds that God has given us now to reach more people instead of just waiting for a building that we don't know God will ever just give us in the future. 
said, Pastor, God doesn't just give church buildings to churches. I've watched most of my friends, it seems like, get church buildings that way. And I'm just kind of waiting for our ship to come in. But the Lord says this. In the meantime, hey, strengthen churches. And if that means more money needs to go to tracts and distribution and materials, then I think we should do that to the glory of God. Carefully, making sure that we're not being unwise in how we spend, but understand at the same time, there's a whole world out there that needs to be saved. And, and I, I can't reach the whole world, but we can do something about this town. And then we need to live consistently. Tuning up for our 10th anniversary is not just a neat thing that we should just do for one day and then drop. No, it's really just an extension of what we should do because we're a church. Oh, soul winning? Yeah, we, we do that anyway. Prayer? We, we do that anyway. Reaching people? Yeah, we do that anyway. Preaching the gospel? We do that anyway. But we just want to do more of it. You know what I want to do after the 10th anniversary? Do more of it. And more of it. Well, what if we do too much? Well, I'll tell you, if we end up reaching the whole world, then we could stop. But until then, we've got work to do. I'm going to say this, and I'll be done. If you don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior tonight, if you don't know that heaven is your home, then maybe none of this makes any sense to you today. But I do know this, is that there is only one way to Jesus Christ. There's only one way to Jesus Christ, and that is by faith, repenting of your sins and calling upon the Savior. And there's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. So what do we know that the scripture says that, that it's through Jesus Christ that we are saved? And it's through uh, faith in Jesus Christ by repenting of our sin and calling on Christ to save us. The good news is that anyone can do it. How do I know that? A child as small as that one back there can accept Jesus Christ, their Savior. And a man or woman on their deathbed that humbles their heart like a child can receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. But every person has to make the decision for themselves. And I want to remind you tonight that there is no greater decision that you can make. And if you don't know that you're going to heaven when you die, say people can't know that. There's no way that people can even be sure about that. I would contradict you and say this. There's a group of people in here tonight that are very sure where they're going to go where they die. And it's not because they're overconfident. And it's not because they place their trust in themselves. It's because they place their trust in one who is much higher than any of us. The one who's highest of all and holiest of all. And that's Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the pulpit of Liberty Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, or if there's any way we can serve you, please let us know by contacting us at info at mylibertybaptist.org. Or you can visit us this Sunday at 800 Washington Street in Easton, Massachusetts. May the Lord bless you as you grow in his word.